1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. But the bottom line is God did not make Pharaoh do anything Pharaoh didn't want to do already. Like the swan, like the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg, we can't see what's going on beneath the waterline. There's so much going on and we lack the capacity to exhaustively understand what God is doing, how God thinks, and what it means to be holy and righteous and pure. We can only know sufficiently that He is the means of our salvation and we must trust in Him. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast, and as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues his study in the Book of Romans with his series of messages entitled, The Anatomy of God's Sovereignty. So if you have your Bibles... Turn with us again to the book of Romans chapter 9. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: If you could be born into a specific family or a people group, then Israel would be a prime example of that. But if you look at Romans 9, 4 and 5, we see this. They're a special nation, right? God raised them up to send the Messiah through them in the flesh. They were adopted by God as an instrument of His plan. They have God's glory revealed to them and all the miracles and the exodus and everything. They were given the law, they have the privilege of worshiping Him, and they failed. Why? Because it's not up to us. it's up to God. We do not earn our salvation. We do not merit our salvation. The Jewish people largely and mostly rejected their Messiah. And so he begins chapter nine pretty much in the first eight or ten verses by saying, "It's not that the word of God has failed." Because not all who are descended from Israel really belong to Israel. And not all the children of Abraham are his children because they are his offspring. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. God the Holy Spirit through the Apostles' pen begins to introduce and explain concepts to the readers in Rome and to us here by extension that are complicated. It requires us to think through our faith, to look at the word of God and say, what does it say? What does it mean? How then shall I think and live? And so there was no performance aspect in anyone's salvation or election. God chose, God showed grace, and he uses a lot of illustrations from the history of Israel to point that out. Look with me again at verses 10 through 13. He says that not only so, but also when Rebekah conceived children by one man, the same father, right? This time it was Isaac, not Abraham. Our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purposes of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated." God drives this home ever so clearly in Paul's discussion here. Not all of Abraham's descendants, right? Ishmael, not children of the promise, but Isaac was his child. Not all of Isaac's kids, Esau, is outside of grace, so to speak, outside the promises, but Jacob is inside. And this is God's plan. You know, we look at it. Up close, can't see the forest with the trees, but we're looking at it right now from 30,000 feet, and there's a bigger plan than what we can see. You know, we've talked about this before. There's that tip of the iceberg perspective that we only see a fraction of what's really going on, and God is telling us through his word here, there's so much going on here. Understand, my word hasn't failed with my people. Not all of the people of Israel are Israel. They're not all children of the promise. And he begins to give us these examples. I mean, technically, Esau was the firstborn, and under Jewish tradition and custom, he would have gotten the promise, but he didn't. Isaac did, uh, excuse me, Jacob did. And God chose Jacob not based on Jacob's character because Jacob was a lying, conniving, conniving kind of guy. But what does God's word say? It says, Jacob have I loved, and Esau, comparatively, have I hated. And that I made. My choice so that my plan of election would continue, not because of works, but because of my will, not because of their performance, but because of my sovereignty. God would cause all things to work together for good in the life of Jacob, who he had called according to his purpose. And those he calls, he predestines, and those he predestines, he glorifies. God worked through Israel as an elect nation, as a chosen vessel, not through all the nation, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel and not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but because God determines. God made his choice according to his purpose. He, after all, is God. It does not depend on our ability. It doesn't matter how special we are. Nobody's special. We're all the same in that we're all sinners. It isn't about our gifts or our ability. It's about his sovereignty He chose Jacob despite his character flaws. God doesn't rely on us, but he employs us. God chooses according to his sovereign plan. That's what's going on here. This is the heart of sovereign grace. This is the heart of the sovereignty of God, is that God is in charge of virtually everything that happens. Nothing happens by accident. Everything happens according to his plan. Right down to raising up Israel as a nation, among all the nations through whom he'd send the Messiah, saving some of those people. Not all the children of Abraham are really the children of the promise. Not all the children of Isaac are going to receive God's favor. You know, you see this. We obviously talked about this in John six sixty four and 5 that Jesus said, you cannot come to the Father. You cannot come to me unless it's been already granted by the Father. But you even see it in the opening verses of uh, John 1. In John 1, 11 through 13 we read this and we often read this and don't think about what it says says he is talking about jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god who were born and then he says what did not come into play who were born not of blood, not because they were Israel, not of the will of the flesh, they couldn't earn it, they couldn't work for their salvation, they couldn't deserve it, or the will of man, it doesn't matter who your father is or what he did for you, but of God. We read that and we, and we, we miss are born according to whose will? Not the will of man, not the will of the flesh, not according to blood, who are born according to the will of God. Those who receive him are those born according to the will of God of God. Don't miss what's going on here. We have an an abbreviated version of this verse here on 13 here. It says who were born but of God. There it is, who were born of God. That's the grammar of what's going on here. He came to his own and his own people Israel did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born of God. They weren't born of the flesh, they weren't born of a bloodline. They weren't born because of what their fathers did or didn't do. They were born of God. In fact, when it talks about the election of Israel, the choice of Israel in the Bible, in Deuteronomy 7, 7, it makes clear that they were nothing special. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. That's what foreknowing is. And chose you, for you were the fewest of the peoples, of all peoples. There is another more clear-cut and graphic picture and i'm not gonna i want you to write this down ezekiel 16 1 through 18 ezekiel 16 1 through 18 as you're wrestling with this and saying boy this is hard to listen to hard to hear in this part of the passage it is a picture it explains god's basis for his choice of israel in extraordinarily graphic language that is not going to be up here on the screen Uh, it begins by saying tell Israel this or remind Israel this that your father was an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite and when you were born they threw you into the field and you wallowed there in your blood and your cord was there and you hadn't been washed and you hadn't been rubbed with salt and as you just wallowed in your abandonment I passed by and I looked at you and said live and that was it that's why God chose Israel, not because they were special, not because who their parents were. And then it goes on through there in some really, really graphic language, which today I choose. There's nothing wrong with the language, because it's in the Bible, but it's you want to read that so you can understand that God chooses based on what God chooses, not based on what we do or who we are, or how special we feel we might be. Israel lost sight of that. Sometimes we do too, and we think we have something to do with our salvation. Now the question is, is this God's choice, based on his choice, is that unfair? And that was the subtitle. You know, we're talking about, is God unfair? But you know what? He's not unfair. Fair is that, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. fair is that all are condemned. Grace is that some are saved. And that is the heart. That is the heart of his sovereignty, basically. That it's not based on what we do. He does not look down the corridors of time and choose us based on the fact that we were going to do the work of choosing him. He chooses us according to his own will and his own purpose. Which brings us to the head of sovereign grace. The head of sovereign grace is this. God is God and he has rights. And his rights are to do whatever he feels Whatever he desires, whatever he determines is good. And you know what? In this culture, in that age, we want to stick our fingers in our ears when somebody says something like that. It's hard to hear. God is God, and he does what he wants to do, and that's just it. And that is just it. And the bottom line is we have to accept that. God is God, and his choice is right. By definition, everything God says, thinks, and does is right and righteous and good and perfect and holy. He knows how we think. He knows human nature. And so he does these Q&As to help us to think critically and biblically throughout the book of Romans. And he says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Is God unjust? Is God unfair? And he answers for us, by no means. For, verse 15, because he says to Moses, listen to this. What do the words say and what do they mean? I will have mercy on whom I have mercy And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Verse 16, what are we to conclude from this? So, so then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. He gives a second example, verse 17. For, because scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very person, for this very purpose, I raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Another conclusion in verse 18. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Now, I know for some that's hard to take because you've never been taught that. I mean, how many of you have heard four or five sermons on Romans 9 in your life, right? Okay. How many of you have heard one sermon on Romans? Okay. How many of you haven't heard sermons on Romans 9 before? Yeah, well, this is hard. People, it's not fun to teach, but it's right to teach and it's good to teach. And here we have the thought process behind God's sovereignty. That's his divine prerogative. That's his godness. He is God. And he's going to do what he's going to do. And it's hard for us to grasp because we don't have the capacity. We don't have the random access memory. We don't have the RAM. We don't have the hard drive space. We don't have the processor speed to dream, bring all this in and to understand it exhaustively, but we can understand it sufficiently. One commentator noted, the, human, the natural human response is to assert that God was unjustly arbitrary in choosing one over the other, Jacob over Esau, before they have the opportunity to trust or reject him or to be obedient or disobedient. That natural response, however, is tantamount to saying that there is injustice with God so Paul asks rhetorically if, if we have the right to accuse God of being unjust. Is, are any of us suitable to pass judgment on God's action or his thinking or his thought processes? I don't think so. Now, Paul understands this. And so he does this Q&A. He understands that we only see the tip of the iceberg. But what he's pointing out to us is that God, in his wonderful mercy and grace, when it comes to your salvation and mine, leaves nothing to chance. Nothing. It doesn't depend on anyone or anything other than God. God doesn't depend on human nature, on human fickleness, or on human effort. He is sovereignly and perfectly so, right down to the finest detail. Verse 16, so then it doesn't depend on human will or or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Somebody goes, well, where's the freedom in that? Well, let me tell you where the freedom is imagine if your salvation depended on someone else's human initiative like mine. Imagine if my salvation depended on you or your salvation depended on someone else here. And think of your salvation. I remember the moment where I embraced Christ. I was overwhelmed with my sense of sinfulness. And I remember I burst into tears and I cried out to Him. I was crushed. It's funny, Terry and I were where Terry was riding in a car with her sister and I was in a car by myself driving, thinking about a sermon I just heard and I was just crushed to pieces by the power of the Holy Spirit opening my eyes to my sin. Now let me ask you, and not everybody has this dramatic moment, but how many of us raised our hand and said, Holy Spirit, come now and break my heart, open my eyes to my sin and crush me before a holy God? Nobody did that. Because we were on a path to destruction. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeks for God. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And so God sought us. Thankfully, he did not leave our salvation to human agency. God thankfully exercises divine prerogative. His rights is God and creator and owner of the universe. And he does what he does according to his will. Verse 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, verse 18, he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whoever he wills. Isn't that what the verse says? I mean, it's just hard to read. And I know there's a human temptation to try to go and go over to this part of the Bible and grab this verse out of context. And doesn't it say that God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth? He does, and do they? No, they don't. And if he didn't save some, none would be saved. Doesn't it say in Hebrews 6 that, you know, be careful not to lose your salvation? No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. You know what it says? It says, if you could, you would never regain it again. And then he goes on to say, but we believe better things of that about you. You This is what the text says. Now we say, well, wait a minute. What about poor old Pharaoh here? I mean, God hardened him. He raised him up. But you know what? When you read it, it's like this pharaoh had already enslaved israel pharaoh was already an arrogant wicked cruel human being wanting people to starve expose their children to crocodiles and basically he says i called you out for this he put pharaoh on display for all of his wickedness and he put him under pressure and he backed him into a corner where he had two choices repent or or stay the course he put him in a situation to bring out of him what was already in him. Pharaoh is like a tea bag. When you put a tea bag into boiling water, do you ever get ice cream? Not in my experience. But what's in the tea bag comes out, and the heat brings it out. You know, ice melts under heat, and clay hardens. And Pharaoh hardened under the heat of the trial that God subjected him to. Arkit Hughes said this Pharaoh deserved death. But God did not strike him down. Rather, he allowed him to continue to live and to reign so that God could demonstrate his power in the repeated defeats of Pharaoh. Pharaoh became an international illustration of God's supremacy or sovereignty. Paul mentions that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but does not go into Exodus to explain the other side of the coin. And we will get into human responsibility later that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. The Exodus account reads, reveals both. In truth, God gave Pharaoh every opportunity to repent, but Pharaoh resisted God and therefore hardened himself to d- divine rule. Sunlight melts ice, but uh, hardens clay. God was not unrighteous with Pharaoh. He gave him repeated opportunities to believe. The point is that God is sovereign and acts according to his own will and purposes. He is perfectly just, for he is God. And so we read in verse 19. You will say then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? This is Paul again. He's talking about Pharaoh now, and he goes, okay, so so whose fault is it? Paul says, you will say to me, the Holy Spirit through Paul says to you and I, you will say to me, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? And then in verse 20, we get a Job. Do you remember Job? Job's like, why is this happening to me? And all of his friends are going, yeah, all this stuff's going on here. You must be a bad guy, Job. And Job is like, you know what? I don't know why this is happening. Why is this happening, God? And God steps in and says, who is this? Who is this that darkens my understanding? Who is this? Who is this? And he looks to Job and says, gird up yourself like a man and answer me. I'm God. And he tells Job, you're never going to know why all this happened. Ever. You're never going to know. Don't darken my counsel with your words. We have this here. We have this here in the text. Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And he's saying, You don't know what I'm up to. Who are you to question me? I made you, O man. And do I not have the right to do what I want to do? Now, somebody's saying, oh, that sounds so terrible, Keith. I didn't say it. I just read it to you. And then in verse 22, he gives this hypothetical to remind the reader of their rightful place before him. He says, what if I did? What if I did? Verse 22. And it's hard to read. I get it. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels prepared for? of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory of the vessels toward his vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews, but but also from the Gentiles. What's going on here? It's this Q&A. He's like, think, people. Think. This is God. What if he did do that? Would you reject his salvation? Would you reject him? He's like, he's God. He can do what he wants to do. He can harden who he wants to. He can have mercy on who he wants to. He can have compassion. And he's chosen to have compassion on you. Will you answer back to him? Why? And then he reminds the, the readers in Rome, you know, you Gentiles weren't his chosen people, but he's chosen some of you anyway. He's chosen us. And so he's reminding them of what is true, that God is sovereign and that we're able, we're seldom able to see beyond our own circumstances It's like we're a musical note in a concerto and all we can see is the measure that we're in, but we don't see the other thousands of notes out there and we don't know where the piece is going, but God does and he's sovereign over it and he has raised us up for such a time as this, to participate in his redemptive plan, to be recipients of his sovereign grace because he chose to, because he's God and we're not. And so he says, what if, what if God, what if God was, as you charged, unfair? What about you? But the bottom line is, God did not make Pharaoh do anything Pharaoh didn't want to do already. He didn't do that. It's again like, like the swan or like the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg. We can't see what's going on beneath the waterline. There's so much going on and we lack the capacity to exhaustively understand what God is doing how God thinks and what it means to be holy and righteous and pure we can only know sufficiently that he is the means of our salvation and we must trust in him I mean should we be displeased at the way that God has gone about our salvation
0: Pastor Keith Crosby on this special edition of the Grace to Live radio
1: broadcast. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening today. In the uncertainty of the COVID 19 crisis, many people within the Hillside Church community and all over Santa Clara County are in the middle of financial hardship, and we need to pray for them. And we would ask you to pray for us as well. We want to thank you for listening and supporting this ministry. But it is a listener-supported ministry. And in as much as we covet your prayers, we also ask you to consider a financial contribution to the ongoing work of this radio broadcast. Grace to Live Radio provides encouragement to so many people in the outside world who can't make it to church. And you can be part of that ministry by supporting us financially as you support us prayerfully. This is Keith Crosby, and I want to thank you for your prayers and your encouragement. With the current guidelines in
0: place by our president and the local leaders here in San Jose, Hillside Church will be holding our worship service 100% online for now. So please remember our website, hillside.org. You can view our Sunday morning service there as well as to keep informed with updates on what's happening here at the church as we walk through this time together. Just click on the COVID 19 response button for updates on ministry activities, resources for your children, as well as important information from the County Health Commission. And you can also connect with us on social media, the church Facebook page, at Hillside Church San Jose, as well as our Instagram page, at Hillside San Jose. Don't worry if you missed any of this information. You can access everything by visiting our website, hillside.org. We want to thank you so very much for spending this time with us here on the Grace to Live radio broadcast. I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and all of us here at Hillside Church, we want to encourage you with our prayer that the Lord will continue to richly bless you and protect you. So please keep looking up, and thanks for listening.